<laughs> I got uh, yeah, we used Zoom a lot last year, like with uh, COVID and stuff for uh, a couple family get-togethers. That's awesome. Yeah, it seems like most people at least now know how it works and everything. That's like one benefit of COVID is like people learned. There's a different way to do this that doesn't involve driving to your house every time I need something, you know? Yeah. So how, how's dad life, man? First and foremost, you know, this is the huge development. You've, you've got a whole stable of Cherico's over there. Three demons. They're upstairs. Uh, they're uh, getting ready. We're going. Uh, we're going out here in a little bit. So my oldest is helping them get ready. So it's nice that we had like a long gap in between, like the first one and then having the twins, because uh, she's a huge help. So she's getting them ready now, and then uh, we'll head out after this. Everybody always makes the joke, you know, when you have a bunch of girls, like that's payback for bad things that you did in your youth. Does it? Is it that way so far? Is it? Is it tough having all girls? My oldest was an angel, you know, like if, if like I had to get ready, like I could be making her breakfast or making myself breakfast after I made hers. She'd sit down at her little Minnie Mouse table and watch TV. And if I was tired, I laid on the couch. She'd just lay up there with me and just we'd watch a movie. These two are just insane. They're savages. Uh, but if they're apart, if you only have one of them, like if one of them fell asleep, the other one's chill. She'll just lay around with you too. It's like when they're together, they just feed off of one another's energy and they're just insane. It's fun. Uh, Karma called me the other day, I guess, when Adam said he was having twins. And uh, he said it was payback for all the times I picked on Adam. But thankfully, my daughters would be like four years older, so I'm not going to date a dork. One. <laughs> freshman when they're a senior, so we're good. <laughs> that's great, dude. That's the mo that's one of the most comma things possible to say, but I love it because it's a perfect tie-in. I, I had to ask. I know you saw Adam's video saying that you were actually the best trash talker in Pittsburgh MMA history. Obviously, you agree with that, but who would you even think is in contention with you for that title? Man, I don't know. In terms of people that picked on Adam, it would probably be Dave Sachs. I mean, we used to – oh, dude, we used to destroy Adam. We used to get on his Facebook because he would stay for getting the log off of it on the computer. That's how long this was. And we would just change his password and write all kinds of statuses and just completely make fun of him. So, Sachs is up there. Karma's up there. He just – he kind of does it in his own little way. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know, man. I think I, I stand alone at the top. For sure. I think that's fair, man. The, my first introduction to you was at NAAFS in West Virginia. And it was, I forget who you were fighting, honestly, but and the whole crowd was against you because you were the out of towner and you were being all boisterous and being all Cherokee and everything. And everybody wanted to hate you. And you just choked the dude out like the first round, I think, first or second round, as you did the rear naked Cherokee. And then you were up on the cage, you know, make it, making a scene about it. And I'm like, I like this guy. Like he came into enemy territory and just totally owned it, man. Was that something that you had to develop or is that just your natural confidence? Because you do, you had a, an aura about you, if you will. I think it was just, I mean, I'm always been arrogant and, and cocky, I guess. Uh, and so it always rubs people the wrong way. Uh, but it's usually just in fun. I don't know. You just got to like turn the volume up a little bit. Right. So it's like a character, but uh, we always fought out of town. It was always in Ohio. And a lot of times like, you fought somebody from PA, but they would announce them from like Uniontown or from like somewhere else in PA. So the, the fans in Ohio would have boom. As soon as they heard Pittsburgh, they would just boom me like no matter what. And I had a lot of fans there. So I just kind of developed this like little thing where I would just take shots wherever we were at. Like, um, I think I fought at NAAFS for, uh, in Cleveland. I started making fun of the Browns 
And uh, dude, people were they wanted they were talking about like evolve MMA. All those guys wanted to jump me in the back. It was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Over the so, Browns. I think I stripped at the top of the stage. Like uh, man, people just. I don't know, man. It sells tickets. People either are gonna buy tickets, they want to see you get beat up, or buy tickets because they enjoy your show. So either way, they're buying tickets. Yeah, and you're no stranger to that, man. I mean, I, I've seen you uh, ripping on the Steelers throughout your days plenty of times, you know, living in, in Pittsburgh. That's a dangerous move, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's what's funny, too. I don't even like the Steelers. So, like, when they boo me because I'm from Pittsburgh, it's usually because they hate the Steelers. I'm like, man, I'm right there with you. But, you know, I'd have waved a terrible towel if it would have gotten the fans more mad. But, <laughs> you know, I actually, I drafted a Steeler in fantasy this year. It was uh, completely against my uh, beliefs, but I – uh Drafted uh, Johnson, the wide receiver, and now he's hurt. So he was balling. He was balling out too, man. Having yeah. an awesome year. And then he gets hurt the last play of the game. Kind of sucks. But. Yeah. Are you a Are you a Bears fan? It looks like a Bears shirt. Oh, this is my Mitchell Trubisky shirt. Sundays are titties. Uh, I I did. I dude. I loved Brian Urlacher. He was like my all time favorite football player. Okay. So, a big Bears fan up until like the last couple of years. Uh, I don't really have a favorite team anymore. I guess like fantasy, like you just like certain players. So I'm a big fan of Josh Allen. So and, uh, Derek Carr, I like Derek Carr. I don't know. Everybody hates Derek Carr. I don't know why. Nothing wrong with Derek Carr. What's wrong with Derek Carr? He seems he's chill. Steelers, so even more reason to like him. <laughs> yeah. I think he's he looked- like some yards. Oh yeah, man. He looks great this year. Who Did you pick yeah. him up in fantasy? What's that? Did you pick Derek Carr up in fantasy? No, no I, I don't have him this year. Gotcha. How's your How's your squad doing so far? I'm one and one, but the second I was the highest scorer the first week. The second week I played the uh the league high score. He had like 197 points, so like I had no chance. But. Gotcha. Long season, right? Yeah, yeah. We're playing. We're playing the long game. We're gonna win this. That's perfect, dude. One One thing I definitely wanted to ask you about that I didn't even realize until this morning was kind of how long not only your amateur career was, but like it seemed like a lot of fighters coming up in that time had longer amateur careers than they do now. Like you see a lot of guys, two, three fights, and then they're making the move to pro. I mean, you you had a long amateur career. You know, even Milstead was an amateur for about three years. And then you look at a guy like Richie Canalina had like 20 amateur fights and never never went pro. Like it's crazy. You look at some of the guys in that time period. What do you think that that's all about? Like, was that a conscious decision on your on your part, or why why did you guys have so much more amateur experience than it seems like guys do now? I think it was me and Wilkins. Uh, Mike Wilkins used to talk about that. We always treated like your amateur career was like uh, college football. So you got four seasons, right? You go pro in your junior year if you were pretty good, which was generally I think that was me, comma Adam, I think Mike. Everybody was like three years turned pro. And then you had Richie, he was like a super senior. Uh, he was like five years. I think he would have turned pro MMA. I think he just ended up finding boxing and, and went that route. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think like you, some of these guys go pro after like three or four amateur fights where they didn't fight anybody. They didn't get any tests. Like there, there was no like tough challenges. So then like the last thing you want to do is like, as soon as you turn pro, like you have like your toughest fight, right? Like get the, get some tough fights as an amateur learn what it's like to be in the later rounds or learn what it's like to get hit and get rocked and have to come back. Uh, so I think it's important to get as many amateur fights as you can. You shouldn't be in a rush, especially if you're younger, if you're in your early twenties, you got plenty of time, get the experience and then, then move on. Cause two, it's hard around here to get fights. Like there's only one show right now. 
So especially once you turn pro, people don't want to pay you, right? Like we had that problem with uh, Shaka. He was going up to Ohio at the time to fight. And then as soon as he turned pro, those promotions never called him because they didn't want to pay him to fight. So it's like, man, now you're losing opportunities to fight. So hopefully it all comes together. Yeah, it's crazy, man. How much are, are you still tuned into kind of the local fight game and seeing kind of the evolution of things? Because I think it's funny how you were kind of part of that first wave, if you will, you know, when Pittsburgh MMA was really on the rise and it was, like you said, you, comma, Adam, Dempsey, Mazzotta, like that. The crew that was around back then was stellar and like stood the test of time. And like all you guys went on to do great things. How are you seeing kind of the scene now compared to that? It seems like it's on on the rise again. Yeah, I, 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 I don't follow it at all, really, outside of a couple people that I, I've known that are still fighting. I don't even – I couldn't even tell you the last time I watched a fight, I like, UFC-wise. I watched, like – I watched Kama. I watched Cody. And that's about it. Uh, local scene. Like, I follow – like, you know, we have, like, uh, Justin and Shaka are still fighting, so I follow them. Uh Cam, the kid that uh, Justin actually fought, he was a little—he was in my little kids' class at Fight Club way back in the day. I remember coming in to teach class the one time, and he was practicing his head kicks on a uh, tie bag. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, practicing head kicks. I'm like, dude, you're in, like the six-year-old class. Like, <laughs> he goes, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying. I'm like, all right. Like, I always thought he'd be good. So I'm glad it's worked out for him so far. That's funny, man. He said that uh, Milstead was one of his first teachers as well. I was talking to him a little bit. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I can just imagine this little eight-year-old Cam Allgaier, like, getting coached up by you and Milstead. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was already – he might have already been in the suit in the kids' class when I started teaching there. Adam was already the uh, instructor there. So, yeah, that makes sense. He was there for a while. That's crazy, man. You guys had – it was such oh. a team, man. Like, how proud are you when you think back to the, the Fight Club Pittsburgh days and what you guys were able to call? Like you said, even Cody Garbrandt, you know, training out of there for a while, and obviously everybody knows what he did. But what's it like to be a part of that and be a part of that history? Dude, you know what? Like, you never really – you kind of always take advantage of it. Like, you never really think about how, how much fun you had at those times, like just being in the locker room and, like, when they'd come in to, like, shoot promos and videos and the stupid shit that we would do until it's over and now you look back like man like those were the good old days right like, like you don't even realize they were until they're over and uh man we had so much fun like that was, it was such a great time in my life yeah are you still training at all i mean i see like the pictures dude you're you're yoked you're yoked out of your mind right now it's ridiculous you're clearly staying in shape but are you still training at all uh this will be the first year if it continues that i didn't touch a mat at all uh so, I don't know. We'll see. There's still a few more months. So, maybe I'd find my way on the mat. But, uh, no, I haven't been. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I trained a few times last year and a little bit the year before. Nothing crazy. I probably count on my hands how many times I've trained since my last fight, truthfully. I don't know. It's just sometimes you just, like, kind of let it go. I started training. I wanted to fight again. I think it was, like, two years ago. I think it was two years ago, like, 20, 2019. I hurt my neck again. So, it's just, like... I got a really good job. I got a good career. I got a, I got a family. I got to take care of. So the last thing I want to do is get hurt. Uh, trying to reclaim old glory or anything like that. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. I think the people who know, man, knew that kind of towards the end of your career, you were 
the neck injury was more serious, I think, than you let on. Like the the contender series fight, like I don't think I ever actually talked to you about it, so I wanted to, to get your take. But I had heard like through the grapevine that everybody was like, yeah, Cherico really shouldn't have taken that fight, but he knew it was his last chance and he just really wanted that opportunity. Is that basically how it was at the time? Yeah, like I had already – I had hurt my neck. It was like right after the Quad Owens fight, getting ready for the Castillo fight. I hurt my neck. And I probably should have pulled out, but with all the animosity and everything going on, like I, I wanted to take that fight. So I took it and I came back and tried to keep training through it and it got worse. And then I got an offer for the uh, gas company to start working there. So I took that and dude, I mean, they, they don't lie, man. You eat a lot of gas station food and you're not training, you're not lifted. Uh, I was up to like 197 pounds and just not in shape. And my neck was horrible. I was going to Isaac, like, three or four times a week to uh to get uh neck traction and get adjusted and massages and it was working but it was it wasn't working to the extent where I could go train and then uh the opportunity came I think it was in I got called in June I think it was June and my manager offered me the fight hold on baby daddy's talking I will come and get you in a second okay can I finish this all right go put shorts on for now we'll be changed when I'm done all right okay Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> You're good, man. They, they want to wear shorts. They don't realize it's, it's like 60 degrees out now. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, you just you just let them go until it's about time to go out and they'll see how cold it is. And then I'm like, I want pants on now. Like, yeah, uh, I know. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got the call. Uh, we almost got a call for the Bruce Leroy fight. He had had somebody get hurt. Remember, I was watching the new Pirates of the Caribbean in the theaters. And my manager, uh, Jason House, texted me. And I'm like, yo, I, I wasn't even feeling the movie. Like, it was kind of. They, uh, they jumped the sharks, so to speak, in those movies. So I'm like, fuck it, let's just leave. So we went home, and I was like, I'm going to try to train tonight and see. And as soon as I started training, I knew I, I couldn't do it. But I had been determined, like, I'm going I'm to push through, I'm going to push through, and push through. And I just kept trying. Bruce Leroy fight didn't happen, so I took a little more time off. And then he called me about the contender fight. And I was actually smart. I was intelligent. I'm like, yo, it was like three weeks or three and a half weeks. So I'm like, that's not enough time. Like, I can't do it. Like, He's like, all right, I'll let him know. And I'm thinking like, yo, maybe they'll just pull me for the Pittsburgh card because the Pittsburgh card was in September. I'm like, that'll give me more time. He came back. He's like, hey, they gave you an extra week. Uh, and this is the kid you'd be fighting. It was Mike Santiago. I'm like, man, I like the matchup. Like four weeks, I've, I, I've cut more weight in, in less time. So fuck it, let's do it. But I couldn't train like I wanted to. Like I remember we'd go up to the Mad Factory and I was only training with like two or three people that I trusted. It was like I trained with Wilkins. I trained with Dom and I trained with Isaac and that was pretty much it because I like, and I trust Palma. I just stylistically, like I didn't want to spar and, and risk getting hurt. So it was really those three. And I think I, I trained with Palma a couple times and that was like about it. And I hit pads with Bob, but I had no feeling in my left hand. Like it was pretty rough. I remember in the fight, I grabbed his wrist and I have an underhook and I know I have his wrist, but I can't feel that I have his wrist. Like I couldn't feel it. So I looked down and he threw a knee I'm like a oh, fuck, like keep your head up. And it was just, I don't know, man. I feel like if I had a train for that fight, when I took him down, took his back, like I wouldn't have rushed the, uh, the choke. I, I would have went to break him down and then went for the choke. But I, had, I was rusty and I fucked it. I cut so much weight. I remember we, we left for Vegas. I was still like 23 pounds over. Oh, that's brutal. So, it was rough. It was not enjoyable at all. Yeah. Did, did you have a sense of like, you knew that you weren't in your peak shape, so you kind of had to finish it early. Is that why you felt like you were rushing or was it more the, the rust of just not being in there in training as much? The rust, 
of just not like I had probably for that whole year you figure out it was August I had probably trained maybe the last month and a half and that was it because I had got I had really messed my neck up again in January right after the Castillo fight and that's when I took off to start my new job uh so yeah I think it was more rust I just was rushing like trying to get like I know if I had more if I had been on the mats more like it would have been second day it, it is second nature I don't want to say like it's just you know in the heat of the moment, like you're rushing things, you're not thinking clearly because you haven't been in those scenarios in training because you haven't been training the right way. And, uh, but yeah, I wish people, someone would have told me to not take the fight. Like that's what I was looking for. Like someone to say, it. and I remember like the week before I told house, my manager house, you know, and he's like, maybe we should pull out. And I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, no, this is my only shot. Like I fucked up. I fucked a lot of other shit up. Like I'm not going to fuck this one up. Like I'm going to get this shot. And, uh, in my mind, it was all the stars were aligned, right? Like, I was just going to win this fight quick, magically be healed, and then be on the Pittsburgh card, like, three weeks later. Like, that's how everything was going to work out, and it was going to be good. Okay, okay, go play. You can wear those pants. That's fine. Uh, so, yeah, but it didn't work out, right? So, things happen. Yeah. It's crazy, man, because you look at your career and like you were one of the guys, obviously, that everybody knew was going to get an opportunity like that at some point. Like, is it how do you handle how it went down? Like, is it bittersweet for you that it, you know, didn't materialize in the perfect way? Obviously, you would have liked to have done those things. But like when you look at your career, how do you how do you feel about what you did? Because there are still so many good things, you know, throughout your career. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is bittersweet. It's probably why I don't watch fighting. I'm like a little bitter still. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to not be bitter about it, but I made choices through my life for things I wanted to do that I found to be more important than fighting, like having a family, getting married young, having kids. And, uh, so like I did things that kept me here that if I wouldn't have, I probably would have been able to go away and go train. And, but I did things that I wanted to do in my life. So like, I try to think like in that term, it was great. I'm more bitter about how it ended with my neck. Like I would have liked to have chose like, yo, this is it. Like, this is going to be my last fight because I want it to be my last fight. Not because my neck says it's my last fight. So the, the injury part does bother me. Uh, but everything else I did leading up to that, I'm very proud of. Yeah. Is your, how's your neck like right now? Is it still kind of messed up? Uh, I get problems here and there, but nothing too bad. As long as I'm not like, training training uh, i'm fine like i can lift i can uh i can work it's more just like the constant like snap downs and guillotines it's like fighting out of that kind of stuff or getting hit that usually flares it up and so that's where like my last like couple months uh when i was trying to get ready for that 247 fight i was training and i felt really good but i wasn't training training you know like i was in the gym and i was working and i'm like man i would like to do one more fight and at least go out on my own terms and uh it, it didn't work out that way so but yeah anyway. what it what is it the current you know are you just lifting kind of for fun or are you trying to become a bodybuilder like well i gotta ask because dude you are you're looking huge right now and good like in a good way yeah, i'm just having fun i just like listening it's it's something like i don't know you have like an addictive personality which i think you kind of have to have to to do the things we did right and uh so i've kind of just found like lifting is like my new outlet for like stress relief and i like i like being big so it's fun to like eat like i was telling my buddy like dude fighting gives you such an eating disorder where like you always think like oh this is gonna be the last time i can eat all this like horrible food because i gotta start my weight cut and stuff like that right so like you crush cheeseburger like it'll be sunday and i'm like all right last day i'm gonna i'm gonna go ham and then monday i'm back at it i'm on the grind and so you'll eat 
like copious amounts of food, right? Like disgusting levels of food. And then you wake up Monday, you feel like shit. So you skip the gym and then you're like, dude, I don't even have to fight. Like, why am I doing this? And then you go back to just eating like shit for a week because you're like, what, what the fuck? Like, and then Sunday comes around and you go, okay, I got like 10 more pounds of weight on one last day. And I'm, and it's just a vicious cycle. And now I'm to the point where like, I just eat normal. I eat whatever I want. I eat it in like normal portions. I don't kill myself. I don't think like, oh, it's the last time I can have Turner's tea for a month. I'm like, yo, I want a carton of Turner's tea today. Like I'm just, I don't even think about it. I just grab it and I drink it and it's fine. That's awesome, man. And especially for you, because I know you like your food. You like your Italian foods and desserts and Turner's tea. Like you said, how, how liberating is that to not have to really think about it? It's nice. And like, it's weird because now that I don't have to think about it, I really don't drink it. Like I'll have a carton here or there, but like, it's nothing crazy. Like back in the day, I'd always have to have like the half gallon cartons stocked and loaded in my backup fridge downstairs. You know, now it's like, I, I don't even care. Yeah. That's freaking hilarious, man. I love it. I, I mean, I always knew the Turner's tea thing. Did you have a sponsorship with them at one point? Am I making yeah. that up? Always tried to get them to sponsor me. Even my wife would be all over Twitter trying to get them to sponsor. And they're like, Oh, we're just not sponsoring fighters right now. Like, uh, you know, so they, I think they ended up sponsoring like a race car driver. And that was like their only sponsorship they did. So man, I ain't mad. it is what it is. I still love them. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in your next career, you know, maybe Mark Cherico bodybuilder fueled by Turner's or something yeah. we can do. We'll see. Maybe they didn't like the violence of fighting. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair, man. Dude. Uh, one thing it's, it's cool actually that like you can hear your kids in the background a little bit because it's a big, a big theme with your life. Kind of like what you already said, you had a lot of other things going on in your life. It was important to you to be a good husband and father. I think I was just talking to Jason Cardillo and he said the same things, like the reasons why he got out when he got married, had kids and just decided that fighting, you know, wasn't more important than that. I think it's interesting to see guys make that decision like you did as well, man. I mean, it sounds, you know, reasonable. Any reasonable human being is not going to fault you for making that decision. But how hard is that decision to make in the moment? You know, when you feel like maybe you do still have some left in the tank and family's calling. I mean, it, it's a crazy balance, right? Like, how do you make that decision? Yeah. Like, so back in the day, like I knew like we, I was with my wife for like ever. So like I knew we would always get married and, and that was the goal. And then we got married. And uh, it was, it was my like. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're good, dude. I I'm talking. So can I have a couple minutes? All right. All right. Go play here. You need that. That's all we'd open now. Rest of it. Uh, So like, like the marriage thing, I never questioned that. And then I've always wanted to have kids. Like I, I wanted kids, and we had talked about moving to Florida and maybe training American Top Team. And at one time there was this Arizona project going down where they were trying to recruit fighters from each weight class that were undefeated. And they wanted to move them down to Arizona to train. And we talked about that, but like in the end family, like we have such a big family here and like I wanted kids and I didn't want to raise my kid down in like a little one bedroom apartment in Florida or like a, a duplex with a bunch of other fighters in, in Phoenix, like Arizona. And it's just like, I want to be here. Uh, and like, I felt like I had the, the structure here with the, the right coaches. So like, I don't regret it. I, I think I made the right decision. I got a beautiful nine-year-old now, you know, and then uh, the twins came along after, after fighting. So they've only got to see me like in on YouTube videos, but uh, no, I don't, 
I don't, I don't regret anything. I don't find it hard. Uh, when we were coming up through fighting, I was either running the gym or owned the gym. So Aubrey, my oldest, was just by my side. You know what I mean? It was just a normal day for her to come to the gym, sit down, watch us train. She had her, her little friends at the gym. They would go in the back and steal everything out of my vending machine. So they, they were living. She lived a good life. She enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, and honestly, it was great. I, I got to be around her more like with fighting and running the gym or on when I owned the gym or just was coaching. My schedule was way more open so I could take her to preschool. I could pick her up from preschool. I'd bring her to the gym one day. She didn't have school and we would be there early in the morning for the women's class and she'd be running around with them. And then we'd go get breakfast. So it, it was actually kind of cool. And, and we had fun. Now my life's a little different with work and stuff. So uh, I don't get to do that kind of stuff with the twins as much as I would like to, but we still get to do a bunch of stuff after work. Cause now when I get home from work, I'm home. I don't have to run to go do six thirty gear or train or do my strength training or get my sparring in. Like, so um, it's just, they, they get a different side of me. Yeah. Yeah. How, how vital was it to kind of stay, Cause even though you weren't competing, you know, you were still cornering Adam a little bit, you know, you're still involved with Kama and everything. Now, how does it help to still be around the sport a little bit in that way for you? Is that, is that nice? Or is it like almost makes things more bittersweet being still around it? Like cornering them? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know what? I was so happy for uh, Kama. With Adam, I was still kind of training and still kind of chasing the dream. Uh, the last, I think the last couple times I cornered him. And then I sold the gym and, and we kind of went our separate ways, but uh, like with Kama, dude, I was so happy for him. I remember he got the knockout on two, four, seven. And I had been talking to Jason house, like, yo, you need to sign this guy. Like and house is really good with anybody I've ever sent him. I sent him Devontae Smith and he got him on the contender. Like I think two weeks later, you know, I, I, I got him to sign Milstead and Milstead was already in the UFC when he got him signed, but he got him an extension. Uh, and then I was like, yo, I'm telling you, calm was good. Like, and I, so I, I set him the knockout and he's like, dude, I'll sign him. And I'm like, all right, great. And I remember he called me like three days later. He's like, Hey, Devonte's opponent was hurt. What do you think if I got calm, the fight with Devonte would be easy because I'd be managing both of them. I'm like, Oh, dude, it'd be a great fight. Like I think Kama does really good with them in, in training. I was like, so I like in my heart, like, I, and I like Devontae a lot. Like, I, I think the kid's phenomenal, but I'm like, Kama's going to win this. Like, but I didn't want to say that because I didn't want to like, kind of like freak house out and like, oh, well, like I'm basically bringing a new guy in to beat my other. Like, so I'm just like, no, oh, it'll be a good fight. It'll be a good fight. And um, dude, I was so excited for him, man. Like it was probably one of them. I made getting the call from house to tell me that he was going to be able to get him signed. And then the UFC felt better than when I got the call for the contender fight. Like I was oh, more for him than I felt for myself. So that's freaking awesome, man. That was a crazy fight. And you are, you're not the first person I've talked to that said that about them training together, that Kama would get, you know, the better Devontae in training. But I hear that about everybody. It sounds like Kama tears everybody up in training and nobody can really figure him out, man. What is it about Kama's style you think that just works so well? Because it seems like every fighter I talk to that trains with Kama is like, I hate sparring that guy. He's terrible to spar against. He hits really hard and he's really fast and he does things that like shouldn't work. Right. Like you'll see like some openings when he punches and stuff. Like when you're watching, you're like, dude, his hands are down. He's leaning straight back. Like I'm just going to step in. I'm going to touch the body. I'm going to come over the top with the right hand. Right. And like, it works time to time, but like when you got those big gloves on, he's taking those punches. Like he, and he hits you with like, you might land one, he lands four. And you're like, after like, 
three minutes of a five minute round of that happening. You're like, fuck, this sucks. Like, it's not enjoyable. Or like you watch him kick and I always make fun of him because his kicks are so ugly. So ugly. Like the most ugly kick I've ever seen from a professional fighter. And like they hurt. Like it, it, they're ugly as fuck, but they hurt. So I always walk with them. Like people just don't know. And I always said that like you'd watch videos of people you were going to fight and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Or like anybody ever fought. I remember Brady Hoverman was telling everybody like I've seen Cherico's double. I'll stop it every time. It's, it's easy to say you're going to stop something because the way it looks or you think you have a until you feel it, right? Because you can't feel the guy's power. You can't feel his strength when he gets his hands together or how strong his hips are. You don't find that out until you're in there, right? So it's easy to say you're going to do something from watching a video. It's a world of difference when you're actually in there and you have to deal with it. You have to deal with the actual speed and power of the said individual. No doubt, man. And I think that's funny too, because you can watch tape on all these guys, but like you said, you never really know. And like looking at your career is kind of the perfect example, you know, even before contender series, before those opportunities, you know, you fought Brian Kelleher, who is still in the UFC doing the thing. And also Nate Landewar, who's still in the UFC right now. Like you never know exactly who you're going up against and how good these guys might be down the road. Like how cool is it to you to know that you got experience against guys that are literally to this day still in the UFC? Yeah. Uh, I really like Kelleher. I, 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 you know, I still follow him on Instagram and stuff like that and check his fights out too. So I should say, I, I do watch when he fights, I check his fights out. Uh, I don't really follow Nate. I never really cared for Nate. I mean, he's kind of a douchebag. <laughs> that was probably like, I, don't, I mean, it felt so good to just beat the fuck out of him. Like, truthfully, like, I just, I didn't like him. I don't like, he came in with those cornrows. I remember I called the promotion because, like, I was struggling to make, like, I had, like, a half a pound over. And I'm like, dude, like, uh, do you want to, like, make this a cat? Like, do you want to catch weight or something like that? Like, I'm, I'm just, like, the last half pound's all coming off. And the brother was like, he, he told me he's on weight, ready to go. And I'm like, all right. So I, I ate, I literally ate an apple for the sugar rush, went to the uh, gym and ran, like, all out sprints for 20 minutes to get the last half pound off. And uh, he shows up, like, I think he was, like, fucking 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it was late to the fucking venue. And it was two pounds, technically three pounds, because it was supposed to be a title fight, overweight. And they oh just looked but with that, and, like, at this point, I'm just like, yeah, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to take it out of me tomorrow. Like, so, fuck, I don't even care. And then, I, like, see to beat the fuck out of him was, like, oh, man, I love the fight. I never knew that, actually, about that fight. That's crazy, man. What a what an element. But like you said, once you're there and you've put in all the work, I think people always see fighters take fights that, that maybe they feel like they shouldn't. Like, oh, the guy missed weight. Like, why would you even take the fight? But they don't really understand maybe what goes into the fight. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way you weren't going to take that fight at that point. Yeah, dude. It's a, especially locally. Like, no, nah, if it was something like we had that crazy stuff happening. I don't know if you were around back then, the first pinnacle where uh, Chris Dunn missed weight. And I love Chris Dunn. I don't know what happened. He missed weight by like 16 and 17 pounds, like 17 and a half pounds. Like, he was up out of the featherweight division. And I remember they Mick told me we were at his house cut weight, and I was still like 0.80. And he goes, Cody's guy's missing weight by a ton. And he's like, let's just go down and weigh in. And I'm like, okay, like I know I'm over at this point, right? Like I'm, a, I'm almost a pound over. And uh, we go down, and they're like, hey, we're just going to switch opponents because uh, Cody could weigh in at one, I think 137. My opponent weighed in at like 144. I was like 146.3 or something like that. And, uh, Dunn was like 153 so it was like you can fight Dunn those two can fight and they worked the magic they talked to Dunn it was the same thing though 
like he was there so it's like what the like i'm not like i wasn't gonna not fight and so he was like his wife i think to him like he's like no you're not gonna not fight like we're gonna like we came all this way and i know he traveled far so it's like and everybody was just like, everybody was like well, fuck it like we'll all fight we just switched opponents the night before the fight so that's always a pretty cool story like you went from fighting one guy to a different guy like that's wild and, so yeah i remember we did face-offs like i did a face-off with kissinger kessinger and then they called me back and then I get to face off with Dunn. And like, <laughs> it was, it was a wild night. That's the first time I assume you ever had to face off with two separate opponents before a fight. Back in the day, I, I tell these kids, like when they talk about how hard they have it as amateurs, like, you fuck your kids don't know. All these nice gyms now to train. I do. I used to train in a basement, like literally a basement. All right. And then we'd go to like care boxing where it was like a fucking, uh, piece of tarp over top of the floor within a ring and there was nails coming out of them. I'm like guys don't know how fucking good you have it now and like we'd go fight at yankee lake for chuck haskell and you would have 19 different opponents you had no idea who you were fighting you go to the day of the fight you're like yeah that's not the dude he texted me like last week and you just sign the contract there and you go fight that's crazy do, like which is kind of insane i remember the first fight we had to do blood work for ohio i was fighting rob miller and he sent me uh, Chuck asked, I have a guy that does the blood work and he sent me all the way up in Ohio, like Broadman, Ohio or whatever. And it was like in a house. Like I had to walk through a living room and dining into a kitchen to get blood work. I remember thinking like, this is so stupid. We got to get blood work for fights. Meanwhile, it's like, yeah, motherfuckers are bleeding out. Like you have no idea. Like, but I was young and dumb. And, and I leave this. I'm like, yo, I just left some random house in Ohio and just like gave him my blood. Like for like, what the fuck is going on? So after that, then like request the test became a thing and you just go to request the test and then you go to like, <laughs> That's, that's beautiful these so, kids they had it no man so there's there's a vial of blood somewhere in ohio that's like 80 percent turner's tea like scientists yeah. scientists are going to find this down the road and be like what in the world were humans yeah. made out of eating about 20 percent elf fudge cookies at the time. <laughs> hey, Dude, that's so crazy but that like you said that's how it was back then and yeah like yeah. they don't now they get opponents like these amateurs are getting opponents like 14 weeks out from a fight. I'm like, God damn, man, it must be nice. And like YouTube wasn't that big back then. So there was no videos of people fighting. Like if you didn't go to the last show that he fought on, you didn't know anything about him. So and that's just how it was. These guys, some of these guys, like his amateurs try to protect their records. And I was like, you're an amateur. Like just go fight. Like who the fuck cares? Yeah, man. I'm glad you actually said that because that's something that's been blowing my mind a little bit since taking a bigger role with 247 is just seeing how things work on that side of things and how amateurs do want to protect their record a lot of times, because that was always like what you just said is how I always thought about it. I was like, dude, you're an amateur. Like this isn't about your record. This is about your experience and getting ready to be a pro, but like so many amateurs treat their amateur career, like a pro career, like a loss is going to sink them or something. Is that, is that crazy for you to see and experience? I mean, obviously you were undefeated as an amateur, so maybe it doesn't apply to you as I mean, well. It does. It does. I mean, I took, we took some tough fights. Like Francis Healy, I fought uh, Russ Bleacher twice. Uh, you know, like we did the NWFS tournament, Mike Putnam. So if you did the NWFS tournament, like you fought whoever was ranked top, like the top four at the end of the day. And so like, yeah, I think it's important to just fight whoever they give you. And like, you can still treat your amateur career as a, like a pro career in terms of marketing and selling tickets. Like none of these guys sell tickets. Like I, I've noticed that like you got guys main event that aren't even from Pittsburgh, like Ethan Goss and no offense to Ethan Goss, but like, if he's coming into Pittsburgh, he should have be a main event, right? Like somebody from Pittsburgh should be main eventing because they should be able to sell tickets, but there's no guys in Pittsburgh selling tickets like that. So it's like, 
you put the most established guy. So Ethan Goss has been around the longest. He should be the main event by default, right? So he comes to Pittsburgh, he's a main event. That blows my mind that there's not a guy from Pittsburgh main eventing because they're not a big enough draw. Like, how do you not sell enough? You're in, it's your city. Like, you should be slanging tickets to everybody. Bro, I almost got arrested for the Donnie Walker fight because I was running in and out of my house selling tickets the night before the fight. And my neighbor who had just moved across the street had thought I was selling drugs. So they called the cops. In mid-ticket exchange, the cops' lights hit. I sold tickets to those cops. <laughs> like that's that, the best. Like that's how, I still had my pick in my arm from my ID. Like that's how your mindset has to be. Like people are like, oh, I'm only selling tickets until the week of the fight because I got to cut weight. Like fuck you, you little bitch. It's just cutting weight. Like I know it's miserable, but like at the end of the day, you want to get paid as much as you possibly can for for getting your head beat in right like i do we'd go to disney after every fight because disney's expensive i gotta i gotta sell like thirty thousand dollars a ticket you know what i mean or i gotta make 10 grand I, I have to make money to do this right so like that should be your mindset in your amateur career too is to sell as many tickets as you possibly can one because they give you a percentage so you make a little money as an amateur and two you become more viable so then when you're done like as an amateur ohio will still be willing to bring you in and pay you as a pro because they know you're going to sell tickets. So you'll make their money back. Right. Like some of these guys, they all think they're Conor McGregor, but they sell five tickets. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I, I don't understand it. So, yeah. Well, that's something that you were so awesome at, man. Kind of like we already talked about marketing, selling tickets, everything like that was just natural for you. Did you have to study or work on that? Or is that, like you said, just kind of your natural personality to be out there doing that? It's just personal. It's just trying to be personal. And like, people want to know what you do. Like, like you make friends at work. I always like, I'm always a personable person. So wherever I'm at, like you're meeting people and they, they want us to, like, they want to be friends. You get bullshit and they find out, Oh, I do fighting. Like, Oh, that's pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, you should come to one of my fights. Like they're awesome. Like, and you just start pitching them on the idea. And not even just the idea of the fights. Like, yo, the amateur fights, there's like 20 some fights on the card. Like, dude, some of these dudes suck real bad. And they literally just stand there and beat the fuck out of one another. So it's like a bloodbath. They're like, oh, for real? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, and then, dude, like, beer's super cheap. So you get a cheap night out. I was like, you get to drink and you get to watch people get in the fights. Like, what could be better? Right. And like, you just pitch it that way and like, people will flock to it. Yeah, it's true, man. I think local fights, like I've said this to a lot of people, like I've been to a lot of UFC events as well, even as media, like cage side at a Conor McGregor fight. But there's something about local fights that is so appealing to me and so damn fun that when you're there, like it just hits different than a UFC or Bellator show. Like there's something about that local fight atmosphere. And I think you summed it up pretty well just now. Like when you pitch it to your friends, like that's it. It's just a different yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, dude, and there's, like, there's so many, like, if you look at, like, the first Pinnacle card, look how many guys have made it from that show. Like, there were so many guys on that card. Like, it's like, yo, I, like, you could see, like, the, Paul Felder was on that card. Kama, Adam, myself, Cody. Uh, I think there's more, even more than that. But, like, dude, it's like you can see the next, like, future UFC star on a local show. So, like, come out and support them. And, like, I, I, I always get angry, like, we're, like, you have people, like, you have a business and like you're, you have all your friends and like they don't support it. Right. But you'll see them like, like they can't buy a $20 ticket to a fight, but then you'll see, they just bought like the latest Yeezys. And it's like, yeah, bro, you just spent like $300 on a shitty pair of shoes, but you couldn't buy a $20 ticket. And I'd make my friends feel guilty about it. Like, if I, like, <laughs> dude, I can't afford a ticket. I'm like, bro, you're out at Southside every weekend. Like don't fucking tell me you can't afford a ticket to a fight. I like, you're basically just paying a cover charge to get into the club that you were going to go to on Saturday. And then the beer is cheaper here. So 
I, I and you're you're helping like support me like chase a dream. So I would guilt trip the fuck out of them. I don't care. Fuck that's them. hilarious. See, that's that's another reason why you're the best trash talker in Pittsburgh. You're not afraid to put people on the spot when they goof like that. Yeah, man. Like I, I'm trying to feed my kid at the time. I'm trying to like go to I'm trying to go to Disney. You know, it's expensive. The my, the house of mouse is very expensive, man. They they. They don't tell you that the first time you go. You don't realize until you get there. You got to learn that. And the beer at Disney is way more expensive than the beer at a 247 show. I guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah. The magic, man. The magic, uh, it blinds you. and You just blindly just keep spending money. Uh, I, I love that tradition, though, man. Do you guys still go to Disney every year, even though you're not fighting now? Uh, well, we didn't go this year. We were booked to go. And then they kind of changed their mask mandate with, like, having to wear a mask in lines again. Mm. It, it was like uh two and up like i just don't think in that heat that the, my three-year-olds are going to keep their mask on and like they reserve the right to change the rule at any time so they can make it that you have to wear a mask all day in the park i was like i didn't want to get down there and like two days in they're like hey you have to wear a mask all day i'm like i'll do it we did it we went down in uh, april me and my wife for a couple of days and we were there and then we were down in Clearwater. so like you had to wear a mask for universal and disney and we did it and it was hot and it was not enjoyable right like I'm like, there's no way these kids, they get cranky as it is being out in the heat and walking around all day and waiting in lines. I'm like, I'm just not going to do it. So we end up going to uh, Anna Maria Island right off of Bradenton. So that might be our spot for a little while until uh, things go back to normal. Nice. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm not going to keep you from your morning any longer, dude. I appreciate the time so much, man. One, one of my all-time favorite guys to talk to from the beginning. So, ah, there you go. What's up? Hi. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Maddie. This is Maddie. Huh? Oh, adorable. Thank gets, you. Gets her looks from mom, though, clearly. Oh, yeah, clearly. I mean, I don't know. My eyebrows were kind of mine. There's definitely no denying. That's true. That's true. There isn't, there's no debate there. <laughs> oh, oh, the other one's going to want to say hi now. There you go. Get them all on camera. There you yes. go. Hi. Uh, hi. So, what's, her, what's her name? This is Marky, named after me, and I couldn't get a boy, so. That's had perfect. Add the, add the double E at the end. Huh. That's hilarious. Look at the whole crew. Yep. Well, not, not quite the whole crew, but. <laughs> or something. They already got the duck face down and everything, man. Kids, uh, learn, kids learn young. <laughs> they just, whatever my oldest does, they just, they just follow along, huh? That's yeah. awesome. Well, all right, man. I'll let you get to your family and everything. Have a great day, brother. I really appreciate the time, man. It means a lot.